Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Whether you're online or whether you're in the room, this is God's house. You're God's child. Welcome home. He has a word of advice for you today. Let's pray and get busy. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the collective hearts, Lord, be focused on your wisdom, your word, your grace, your favor, how much we need that in our life. We pray in Christ. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Steve Marabali. Uh, I read an article about him in one of my golf magazines. Uh, He's a motivational speaker. He's a behavioral scientist. And uh, he's quoted in a lot of magazines, has written a lot of best-selling books, uh, speaks to all kinds of industry. And uh, Inc. Magazine has called him the most quoted man still alive. That's the kind of guy he is. Uh, He's uh, an advisor to stars. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Oprah Winfrey, Derek Jeter, and uh, all kinds of people because there's a fine line between expertise and mental strength, and he wants to deal with that last part, you know, mental focus. He talks a lot about control. USA Today said this about Steve Marabali. He said, uh, he's amazing but real. Not only does Steve Marabali give you every tool you need to achieve personal excellence, But his knowledge, passion, and dedication will inspire you. Now, it's interesting how often the issue of control comes up as he's talking to these athletes, as he's talking to these high performers, as he's talking to industry. Because he believes your attitude towards control has a great deal to do with your sense of well-being. Here are just a couple of his quotes on the subject. He says... The reason so many people in society are miserable, sick, and stressed out because of an unhealthy attachment to things they have no control over. You know, that gets your focus, and yet you have no control. Another place, he said, you simply must learn to let go. Release the stress. You were never in control anyway. It was an illusion of control. Now, let me just illustrate that in my own personal life. Now, uh, about a year ago, uh, we bought a house, and it was about 20 years old. It was uh, built by a lady who lived and died there. Her children sold it. Uh, I loved the house, still love the house. It's got an interesting uh, layout. It's an atrium ranch, but it really needed to be updated throughout. Uh, The roof line was all open, and uh, I'm way past painting roof lines. And so we had somebody come in and do new fascia and put soffits in. But see this board right here? This board right here, which is just over my porch, had suffered water damage because there's a gutter downspout over here. And and she had, of course, not gotten up and cleaned out her downspout. And and so the water had bubbled over and had ruined the end of this board. This is not a problem. I've got this. I've got skills. And Carol will tell you, I've got more tools than the average person should ever own. And and so I thought, well, no problem. I'll just pull that board off and I'll replace that board. Carol can get up and paint it. (laughs) And uh, I can go on with other jobs. And so I I got up and pulled that board off. And wouldn't you know that the 2 by 10 behind it was also damaged? (sighs) No problem. I got the right Dremel saw. I can cut that board in half. I can build new support. And so I was doing that and I was putting the last face board back in place on a ladder similar to this and I was working off the side of the ladder and as I pushed that board in place my ladder went this way and I went that way 
straight down onto the sidewalk. Now, fortunately, there was a flower bed on this side of the sidewalk, so my elbow hit that. But unfortunately, this elbow landed on the sidewalk. Hairline fractures in this arm. Couldn't put it in a cast because I'm rehabbing my house. Gotta have my arm. (laughs) At first, I was moving it like this. You know, I had control of the situation until I didn't. As I said, we're in the middle of a rehab, and I said, you know, we can't, can't be wasting time on, on uh, cast. And uh, I'm doing my master bath right now. This is actually looks bigger. It's kind of distorted here. That's a double vanity, five foot across, and I'm putting a drop-in tub here. And uh, we had to pull the floor out because I want the vanity on the floor, not sitting in the floor. And uh, I had done the entire floor... But I knew that this drop-in tub was so tight against the vanity that I'd have to tile that before I put the vanity in place. Otherwise, you'll never reach in there. Now, the next picture shows that there is a tile that has no grout on it on the floor. You know, I had this. It was under control. But because of the fracture in my arm, my grip strength wasn't as much. And as I walked in there, I dropped a tile on top of this tile. Another hairline fracture, not in my arm, but in the tile. And I thought, well, no one will see that. We can just walk over that and, until I realized, no, that would bother me the rest of my life. So I took a hammer, broke it out, and thus the tile. There is no such thing as control. If you can't control inanimate objects, how much more can you control Relationships. Our text today deals with a couple who thought they had things under control, and we find out they really didn't. It's from Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. There must have been a capital campaign in the church. You know, they were gathering up some funds. Actually, I think it was for the relief of the saints, some of the poor people who needed their help. Now, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money that he got for the land for himself. But he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. Here's my gift to you. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Now this is really an important section here. Because what Peter is saying to him is, you didn't have to make any contribution. This is not about him uh, withholding money. He could do whatever he wanted with the money. He didn't even have to sell the land. He was under no compulsion. The Bible clearly says in so many places that God loves a cheerful giver. This text despite the outward appearance, is not about support of the church. It's not even about them taking control of their own finances and managing their life. What it's about is deception. He said, didn't it belong to you before you sold it? You didn't have to sell it. You decided to sell it. And after it was sold and you received all that money, wasn't that money at your disposal to do what you wanted with it? What made you do such a thing? He gave the appearance and perhaps even the outward statement that this is the money I got for the land. And he presented it to the disciples, although it was not all the money he got for the land. You have not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. 
And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out, and they buried him that very day. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing yet what had happened. Peter asked her, So tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? She said, Yes, that is the price. Peter said, How have you and your husband conspired to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. What an awesome Mother's Day text, huh? But it really is in so many ways because it talks about control. You see, this isn't so much about what they gave or didn't give to the Lord. It's about Ananias and Sapphira's attempt to control other people's perceptions of them. They wanted everyone to believe that they were sacrificial. They wanted other people to believe that they were generous. When in fact they could have done anything. They could have not sold the land. They could have just said, you know, we sold the land and we're going to give half of it. Or we're going to give a third of it, a quarter of it. And everybody would have been fine with that. But they wanted to control other people's perception. And so they ended up lying. And as Peter pointed out, they didn't just lie to people. They were actually lying to God. There's another problem that we're going to get to in the whole discussion of this story in just a minute. But this idea of perception and trying to control other people's perceptions of you and your family is still a killer. It truly is. Uh, Take, for instance, uh, an editorial that was written by a mom, it's Mom's Day, who is also a teacher in West County. She wrote, I have the only average children in West County. All the other kids out here are exceptional. Now, don't get me wrong. I have cute kids. They are not defective or anything. They're just average. But that's what makes them so different. (laughs) They're both in middle reading groups. I let them watch TV. My daughter likes junk food. She thinks Little Debbie's is a basic food group. (laughs) Everyone in West County gets pregnant at the same time. That way, our children will be in preschool together, and we can continue our friendship for years. All the other pregnant moms were talking about graduate school and which ones their children should attend. I said to them, shouldn't we meet them first? What if we have average children or even dumb children? They just stared at me. It never entered their mind that they might have an average child. Every West County child doesn't make straight A's, of course. But there's always a good reason. They say she's sensitive, she doesn't test well. Uh, He wasn't uh, feeling well that day. The air conditioner wasn't working. The classroom is too noisy. Or my favorite, the teacher simply doesn't challenge him enough and he's bored. She said, now I'm a teacher myself and I want to say, your child is not sensitive. Your child is just dumb. (laughs) He's so dumb, he could be the dumb poster child. But I don't. Instead, I just say, you're right, your child doesn't test well. At West County, kids are all gifted and talented. In fact, they only have four career options. They can be in medicine, 
They can be in business, or they can be in law, or they can be unsuccessful. (laughs) Unsuccessful is any profession that doesn't make a lot of money. Both of my kids have chosen to be unsuccessful. (laughs) My son wants to be a filmmaker. Even worse, my daughter wants to be a teacher. How is she ever going to drive a Porsche if she's just a teacher? In kindergarten, I asked my son to sound out the word cat. C-A-T. C-A-T. Now, pull the sounds together, and you could see it in great length. He finally blurted out so proudly, Africa! (laughs) She said, I knew he was at Yale or Harvard material. My son plays the French horn simply because his grandfather played the French horn, and he inherited it. He tells me all the time, it's not my fault that Grandpa left me a horn instead of a guitar but I think I'm partly to blame. I didn't play Mozart to my children in the womb, and I didn't show them great paintings while they were still in the crib. But then again, if my kids were exceptional, they'd be just like everybody else. Now, of course, that's a hyperbole, isn't it? You know, it's it's an exaggeration. Attitudes like that don't really exist, do they? (laughs) How often, while we're trying to control the attitudes of others, Do we allow the attitudes of others to control us? What we wear, where we live, the kind of car that we drive, where we vacation. And in the process of trying to maintain control, we place ourselves under stress that God never intended. Dave Ramsey, the the Christian expert on how to get your finances and live within your means, in America today, incredibly gifted and helpful person, said, we buy things with money we don't have, things that we don't need to impress people that we don't like. How often are we in that merry-go-round? They were trying to impress people that didn't need to be impressed. And there's another issue here. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira didn't expect God to accept them for who they were and what they were and what level of faith they were willing to give as evidence uh, in their gift to the work of the Lord. Believers or would believers still struggle with transparency. We still struggle with vulnerability. You know, how many times have you invited somebody to church and they say, oh, if I went to church, the, the roof would cave in. You know, I... I'm not ready yet to commit to church because that means I've got to change my lifestyle as though you have to make the move before you allow God to make the move in your life. And so people just don't go or don't commit because they think that's a whole lifestyle when in fact it's about a relationship. They think they have to get control of their life. And the opposite is true as well. You know, if if people don't come because they feel they're not good enough, How many of us constantly try to prove to others that we are good enough by the amount of commitment that we make, by all the activities that we get involved with, and all the pious things that we try to do, showing by the way we dress, by the way we speak, and by the way we play the part of religion that we are truly faithful people. We exchange that outward relationship, that outward piety, as a show of faithfulness rather than authenticity. And sometimes we kind of refuse to associate with with people who don't have those Christian standards. 
you know, people who wouldn't be respected or, or honored because they're not even Christian, and so we keep our distance from them. I don't think that's God, how God would have us uh, display our faith in the world, trying to impress other people when, in fact, we're allowing them to control us. This is the reason that Billy Graham always ended his revivals by singing, Just As I Am. Just as I am without one plea. But that the Lord, thy blood was shed for me. And that thou didst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. You know, it's just because you accept me. Don't have to prove anything to you. Don't have to prove anything to others. Read the second verse with me. Just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I'm not waiting to prove myself. I'm not waiting until I can get this part of my life under control. You know, I come to you. You can get my life under control. Instead of control, I surrender. Surrender to the Lord and accept the freedom that he offers. And actually, the power to make the changes in life that up until now you've been trying to change for yourself. I like this passage so much from Paul in Galatians chapter 5. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then in that freedom and that acceptance and that perfection that comes by grace through faith in Jesus. And do not put yourself again under the expectations of others or, or under the law, under the slavery of, of meeting some standard that God never intended for you to meet. We live this way because of what God has done for us, out of love for us, not in order to gain his love, but because his love has already been gained. Now I'm part of an Ironman group, and uh, my group's been meeting for, I think, well over 20 years. And uh, the membership in my group has changed over the years. There are a few of us who have been there a long, long time. But uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a new person join us. In fact, he was at Saturday night service and I know him from uh, the course where I play golf and he started coming to church and I invited him to join uh, our men's group and so he's been coming. And uh, he's such a breath of fresh air. A lot of people don't hang with us because we're a bit intimidating. A lot of guys in that group, you know, know their Bible pretty well. Uh, But this guy comes and he says, you know, I love spending time with you because I don't know anything. (laughs) He's about my age. And he's not ashamed of that. He doesn't have to worry about what we think of him. He's just, for freedom, Christ has set him free. And he's just loving the opportunity to be in that study with us. Now there are three takeaways, three life lessons that we can learn from this lesson about control. First of all, accept the fact that you are not in control. You're not in control. Now, last week I was down in Texas. I was uh, making some visits for Lutheran Hour Ministry uh, on some of their uh, donors down there. And, and I happened to end up in the middle of the day, well, towards the end of the day, in, in Austin area. Uh, Carol and I went to school in Austin, so it was kind of like deja vu. Uh, and uh, I, I don't like to eat a big meal in the evening. Even though I've been working all day, it just, it just doesn't work for me. And, and so I thought, well, I'll put my stuff in the room. And I noticed there's a subway shop down the street. And so I, I walk down and I get a foot-long Subway and I'll eat half of it that evening and then have the half for uh, lunch the next day. And so I go down there and uh, I was the only one in the shop and there was only one guy behind the counter. And so I ordered my, my usual sandwich and he began to make it. 
and he laid the meat down in just the right way. And then he put the cheese down and he made sure that it was all perfectly aligned. And then he laid the sliced tomatoes down and he put a pickle right in the center of every tomato. And I said, do you go to UT by chance? He goes, well, yeah, I'm a student there. And I said, are you in engineering or accounting? (laughs) He says, accounting, why do you ask? And I said, I don't know, I'm just curious about people. (laughs) I thought, this guy has to be in control, even how he makes the sandwich. It's going to be a hard life for that guy. Because I'm not even telling you that you have to tolerate things that you can't control in life. You have to learn to embrace, not even embrace, you have to learn to love the fact that you're not in control. Can you just love that? Because if you can't love a messy life, you're going to be uncomfortable most of the time because life is a mess. This is where faith kicks in. I think this is the juice. You know, even if your relationships on Mother's Day cause you some pain. You know, this is where faith comes into play. People used to ask us as as parents, you know, when kids are teenagers, aren't the teenage years so hard? I said, I love the teenage years. This is where you finally get to parent. Anybody can parent a preschool child. But when kids start to talk back to you, oh man, that's the juice. That's where it gets to be fun. It's not always, it's not always happy, but it's fun because it's out of your control. And finally you get to apply your faith and you get to see the Lord work in their life. So first of all, you have to face the fact that you're not in control. Secondly, and this is, this is so important, I, I say this to friends all the time, never allow the behavior or the perception of others to control your behavior. You are who you are, and if their life is out of control, if they're passing judgments that aren't fair, what does that have to do with you? You know, just be who you are. If you don't write any other passages down, you might make a note of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first few verses. I, I just love it. It sustained me throughout my adult life, especially in ministry, because people are always second-guessing pastors and leaders, not just pastors, but leaders. I talked to a leader this last week who was just really struggling with his leadership uh, in his business. And I said, it's hard, isn't it? And he goes, man, sometimes I just don't think I know what I'm doing. I, I believe I'm doing the right thing, but people guess and, and uh, always second guess me. The passage says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court, Paul speaking. I don't even sit in judgment of myself. And that was, that was always my fatal thing. I'd always say, man, you know, I just kick myself for a certain behavior having done something. Paul says, I don't even do that anymore. I don't worry about what others say and I don't even second guess myself much anymore. My conscience is clear. It doesn't make me right. You know, I've been wrong certainly. But I know it's the Lord who judges me. Judge nothing therefore before it's time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light not only what you've done but even the motive for what you've done. And at that time, each of us will receive our praise from God. In other words, he's saying you can't worry too much about what others think of you or they will control you and you can't try to control them. Just say, what would the Lord have me do here? And try to be as faithful as you can to that. And that's a good guide to life. Don't let others' behavior control your behavior. Allow the Lord to have control of your life. Even the graciousness of his forgiveness and his affirmation and and his restoration 
And then finally, trust God to love you warts and all. Trust God to love you warts and all. I love that Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, he said, when you had the land, didn't it belong to you? I mean, you could have done whatever you wanted with it. You were under no obligation. You didn't have to prove anything to God. He loves you just as you are. If you were the stingiest person in the world, he'd still love you. He doesn't love the generous person any more than you. Now, there's a reason why you ought to be generous. It'll change your life, but it's not to earn God's love. He said, and when you sold it, You could have done whatever you wanted with the money. You were under no obligation. Why did you not trust God to accept you without this false show of sacrifice? Paul himself, who was the apostle and the writer of most of the New Testament, said, I am chief of sinners. You know, Paul was guilty of having put other Christians in chains, and some of those Christians even to death. Paul was there when the first martyr of the church was created when Stephen was stoned. And he was all in support of that activity. Paul didn't try to hide that about himself. This is who I am. You know, and, and he said, I'm chief of sinners. And, and God showed me grace so that others might understand if he could show grace to a, such a person as Paul, then his grace would extend to them as well. This is true. Jesus did not live. He did not die. He did not rise again because you were worth it. He did not live, he did not die, he did not rise again because you were a good investment and you would become worth it. He lived, he died, and he rose again because he loves you, regardless of your behavior, regardless of what others think of you. He will love you to the end. So, one final thought, just give up all pretense of control. There's no such thing anyway. You know, be like Laura, the patron saint of mothers in West County. <laughs> accept yourself, accept your children, accept others, and accept your family for who they are. God loves them just like that. Jesus accepts them just like that. That's the truth. And the truth will set you free. And if God has set you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we know in so many ways that, you know, things just come up and bite us. And, and we're reminded that we thought we had this. We thought it was under control, but it, but it really wasn't. It was just an illusion of control. And if that's true about the things that we do, how much more the relationships that we have. Lord, we can't control even ourselves sometimes. We're compelled by our own sinful nature. And we can't control the behavior of others. Lord, help us just to live according to your will. And and because you've been so gracious to us help us to be gracious to others and help us to uh, stop the pretense and, and stop perpetuating this idea that we have to be a certain kind of person in order to be accepted to you or in order to make an impression on others help us just to know that you love us as we are and we love others just the way they are regardless of their behavior because that's your true nature in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song called uh, I Surrender All, and uh, I hope that that's your spirit going forward in life, to know that uh, things are outside of your control, as Steve Mirabali says, and, and uh, it's okay. This is an opportunity for faith, just to surrender to the Lord and to know that the Lord's got you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to cover you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to give you wisdom. So just surrender your life to him.
Amen.